Well, good morning. This service has already started off better than first service. At this point, first service, my notes all fell down to the stage and scattered everywhere and found out that it was polished the podium week this week. And so uh, Dave confessed it's nice and slippery for me there. But uh, welcome to week three of our Upside Down series, um, God's Perspective on Giving and Our Finances. And when we look at God's perspective, so often he turns it upside down from what we would expect. We've already looked two weeks ago at what it means to be content. We looked last week at that mysterious passage that calls us to be shrewd, learn how to be wise with our money. This week we look at what it means for us to be a great giver. And I was struck through this series, you know, sitting back in my office thinking about it, that, you know, when we take this book seriously, God has a way of, of of really shaping our daily lives in unexpected ways, if we, if we allow him, right? If we, if we take being a Jesus follower seriously, more than just kind of a hobby, more than just kind of a, a Sunday thing, it will shake up a lot of what we've been taught and a lot of what we assume. When we take God's direction seriously, it will affect every part of our life, right? It will, it will affect how we parent our children, how we grandparent. It will affect how we shop, what we eat. It will affect what we do with our free time. It will affect how we talk, how we vote, how we spend. It should affect every part of our lives, right? That's what it means to be Christian and Reformed. Right? Every part of life gets shaped by this book. And I was struck by one of the greatest upside-down things that God does when you look at his word, when you understand his story that he's writing. One of the greatest upside-down things that we need to realize that I think we too often forget is the truth that God has chosen to usher in his kingdom through us, through you and through me, the church. In his great kingdom transformation adventure that began anew when Jesus walked out of that tomb alive, right? In his desire to, to change all this world for good, he has chosen to usher that kingdom in through you and through me. And we are plan A and there is no plan B. What a privilege and what a responsibility. God's kingdom comes as his will is done by us and through us. And that means that you and I have the power to limit God's work, right? We, we don't have the power to change the end, right? We can't limit his ultimate purpose, his ultimate victory that will come either through us or in spite of us. But our daily decisions, your daily decisions, my daily decisions, choices we make day in and day out either help usher in that kingdom or they hold that kingdom back. And they allow us to stay rooted in sin and brokenness. And that's why, as I thought about that, why we need this morning to talk about being great givers. Yes, we need to learn to be great givers for the financial health of, of our local church, right? And that's why at the end of this service, I warned you last week, it's it's a time of year where we're making our budget. We need to set our budget number. So we're asking you, we hope that over the past week you prayerfully have considered what you might pledge for the coming year. And so at the end of the service, we're going to be collecting these pledge cards and the offering plate. And I'll be honest, I hope, that, I hope they come back good. I hope that we're free to do great ministry together and that finances doesn't hold us back. 
But I want you to know that this morning is so much more than just setting the church's budget. You see, we need to learn to be great givers for the purpose of God's kingdom and growing his kingdom inside here and outside of here as well. And we need to learn to be great givers for the growing of our own spiritual health. Right, like a faucet. You and I are like faucets where our giving either opens up or shuts down the spigot of God's power to change this world and to change our lives. You know, we learn a lot about what it means to be a great giver from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Take out your Bibles, if you would. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 1,123 in the Bibles you have in front of you. And while you're looking that up, 2 Corinthians 8, let me just give you the context of this passage so that, so that we understand what we're reading when we read it together. You see, in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about an offering that he has been taking from all the Gentile churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey area, right? And he's taking this offering from them in order to help the believers in Jerusalem, out in Israel, who were facing severe persecution. And, And because of that persecution, they were facing severe poverty. Right, so this is Paul's third missionary journey. He's going back to all of these churches that he's planted and he's, he's collecting this offering from them as a way to unify the church together and to support the Christians, their Christian brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem. And so he sent a message ahead of time. He sent letters out to these various churches saying, hey, in about a year or so, I'm gonna be coming by. So start taking the collection and I will deliver it to Jerusalem for all of us. And, and he encouraged them to be great givers for this purpose. And he especially had high hopes for this church in Corinth. Okay, in many ways, Corinth was the chief city in Greece. You see, it was not only a religious center, there were, there were over a dozen different temples there, so, so it was a religious center, but it was also a very wealthy center of commerce as well. It was the capital city in that area of Greece. And so these believers who as far as we know weren't being persecuted, they were in a great position to be great givers. And they got Paul's letter and they, and they said, yeah, we're on board with this project. And they started this offering, this collection, and it was going great. They were going to be ready when Paul rolled through uh, to give generously to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And then that collection began to flounder. Their giving began to fail. And it did it most likely because there were a number of traveling teachers at that time who would come through and they would teach. And these traveling teachers began to sow seeds of doubt in their hearts. They began to say, you know, this offering really isn't for the people in Jerusalem. This is Paul. Paul's trying to line his own pockets here. He's doing this because Paul is greedy. So you really shouldn't be a part of this project. So they stopped giving. And it's within this context that Paul now writes chapters 8 and 9. I'd love to be able to read both chapters 8 and 9 together, but we don't have time for that. So your assignment sometime for your devotions this week is to read both chapters 8 and 9 and hear what Paul has to say in this whole section. But we're just going to read the first nine verses of chapter 8. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church, which was thriving and yet was hesitant to give. 
He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, I, uh, I spent a little bit of yesterday afternoon watching a basketball game. There was a certain Michigan-Michigan State basketball game on TV yesterday. I tuned in for a little while, and congratulations to Michigan State again. And it made me think back to, uh, to something that all you Michigan-Michigan State fans are well familiar with. It goes back to the year 2007 and in the football area. You know, football game, Michigan-Michigan State 2007. Maybe you remember the game where, where it was late in the fourth quarter and Michigan State, who hadn't beat Michigan for a long time, was ahead by 10 points with just a few minutes left. And Michigan made a, a wonderful, spectacular rally to come back and win the game in the last, in the last seconds. It's probably not what you remember about that game. What you remember, if you remember anything, is the interview afterwards because they were interviewing uh, the running back from the University of Michigan, Mike Hart, and they asked him, you know, what, what did it feel like when you were losing to your arch rival late in the game? And this is what he said. I wrote it down. He said, I was just laughing. I thought it was funny. They got excited. Sometimes you let your little brother get excited when you're playing basketball, and you let him get the lead. Then you come back and you take it from him. That little brother phrase, seven, eight years later, is still sticking, isn't it? Great offense taken by Michigan State. Now they've won, first service I said six out of seven last games, but somebody corrected me, it's seven out of eight of the last games, right? That, that little comment, that rivalry has made both teams want to do their best. Well, you got to have that kind of rivalry in mind when you read this passage, because Paul is playing off that very same kind of intense rivalry between the city of Corinth and the cities in Macedonia that he mentions. Right? These, these two provinces were neighboring provinces together. Macedonia up to the north and Corinth down to the south. And, and Macedonia up in the north has always been little brother. Always been little brother to big Corinth down in the south. And the churches, the church in Macedonia is always still little brother to the Christian church down in Corinth. 
Right? It's the church in Macedonia that's being persecuted for their faith, not the one in Corinth. Right? The providence of Macedonia is where Paul experienced you know, such opposition at every turn that there were multiple times where he almost died up in Macedonia, not in strong Corinth. Right? It's the believers in Macedonia who are struggling now, not only to make ends meet, because of their extreme poverty, but they're struggling simply to survive, but not in Corinth. And yet, Paul says, writing to these these Corinthian Christians, he says, it's Macedonia, little brother to your north. It's Macedonia who's putting you guys to shame. Right? They're the great givers, while the Corinthians aren't. So Paul lays their stories side by side, not to taunt the Corinthians, not to make them feel horrible about themselves, but as a way to encourage them, to motivate them to be great givers for all the right reasons. And it's the Macedonians, little brother to the north, who model those right reasons for them. They teach the Corinthians how to be great givers. They teach us still today how to be great givers. And what they show, first of all, is they show us that great givers give out of gratitude and not out of duty. Okay? You know, throughout this book, if you've ever read the Bible, if you read these passages, you know that God encourages us, even commands us to give. Right? He, he gives directions to bring both our tithes, the first 10% of what we earn, to give back to him. And he calls us to give offerings as well, to go above and beyond that 10% to causes that, that move our hearts. Right? And, and honestly, many Christians today, maybe some here, choose to ignore that command, choose to ignore those directions. And those who do give their tithe often give it out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of requirement. It's a responsibility we fulfill because we have to, not because we want to. You know, you can be a giver out of duty, but you can't be a great giver out of duty because great givers give out of gratitude, not duty. Our giving to build up the kingdom of God must be a direct result of the grace of God transforming our lives. Okay, there, there's a cause and effect relationship here. Right? God's grace comes down to us, permeates our sinful and broken lives, and brings us forgiveness and grace and eternal life through his son Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given to us. And the result, the effect, it should naturally be now a desire coming from us to say thank you to God, to express gratitude for that great gift that has been given to us. And if that gratitude is not present in our lives, then we need to step back and really ask ourselves if we've really experienced the full extent of God's grace. Let me say that again, right? If the gratitude to God is not present in our lives, then ask yourself if you truly comprehend the grace that God has given you, if you truly experience that grace. 
Do you realize what an amazing gift it is? Right? If we're giving out of duty, and if we're giving out of compulsion instead of gratitude and desire, or if we aren't giving at all, then there's something terribly wrong in our God relationship. Because deep in our hearts, we're missing his grace. Because when we have experienced the grace of God in our lives, then giving back to him, giving back to his kingdom purposes becomes a pleasure instead of a duty. Right? Look at, look at the giving of these Macedonian churches, verses 1 and 2. Right? Paul writes, he says, now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, there's, don't miss it. There's the grace. There's the cause. They have received God's grace in their lives. Now, what's the effect? He goes on to say, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Okay, God's grace came into their lives. God... God poured himself into them, and their gratitude poured out of them then in great giving. And look at the words Paul uses. He says their joy, even in the midst of their suffering, was overflowing. Right? Their, their generosity, even in the face of their poverty, he said, was welling up, overflowing, welling up. They were so filled with the grace of God that they couldn't keep it all in anymore. They were so filled with the grace of God that it overflowed from them to give grace to the people around them. It was so natural for them, so easy for them. It was a pleasure. They had drunk deeply of the grace of God, and now they wanted to say thank you. In fact, Paul says they begged for that opportunity. They begged. Right, so, so Paul came around to these churches taking up this collection for the Jerusalem church, and he probably, when he came to the, to the province of Macedonia, he probably didn't expect a whole lot from them. Right? Remember, they're dirt poor they're suffering themselves. They're trying to make it day by day by day. They have nothing in reserve. They have no access to give. And look at what Paul experienced in verses 3 and 4. He says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I can imagine when Paul came around, I would guess that his plan was to skip the offering. Right, let's have the church service, let's worship together, let's learn together. When it came time for the offering, he probably whispered to the piano player, hey, let's just move on. We can just skip it here, okay? They don't have anything to give anyways. And they say, time out, ho, 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 time out. We want to be a part. Don't take away that privilege from us. Do not take away from us the joy of being able to give back to God. They saw it as a privilege, not a duty. And Paul says, they pleaded with me. They pleaded with me not to deprive them of the pleasure of giving. Now, wouldn't that be the joy of every church? Wouldn't that be awesome if people were lining up to serve, to volunteer, to give, it would, be, 
It would be God's dream come true for his people. To have people willingly, joyfully, passionately serving and ministering and giving for his kingdom purposes out of gratitude for the grace that he has given them. It would be God's dream to have his people looking more and more like him, being generous, like he has been generous. And that can only happen when we learn how to give with the right perspective. Right? The Macedonians had the right perspective. Verse 5. Verse 5, it tells us that, that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Okay, that's the perspective we need to have. They, they gave it to God. That's who they were giving it to. They were not giving their money to Paul, even though that's the one that they handed it to. And they were not giving their money to the people of Jerusalem, even though that's who ultimately received it. They realized that they were giving to God. This was their gift to him, not their gift to Paul, not their gift to Jerusalem. This was their gift to God. And there's a huge difference there, right? The grace comes from God. And so the gratitude goes back to him. If we're busy looking at each other as we give, then the pleasure is going to be gone. Because none of us is worthy to receive the gratitude that these gifts express. Only God deserves our gratitude. Only God deserves these gifts. And when we give them to him, then we can experience the pleasure of grace overflowing in gratitude. But let's be honest with each other and with ourselves here this morning. This kind of giving that we're talking about, it certainly doesn't come easy, and it certainly doesn't come naturally. Right? Our sinful nature, your sinful nature, mine, it works overtime when it comes to giving. It works overtime when it comes to our finances and our money. Right? We should expect that becoming a great giver will take intentional work. It will take intentional decision making. It will take intentional, intentional effort on our parts. Because money, our affluence that we're all afflicted with, it's probably the most powerful modern-day God that fights against God Almighty. It's the most pattern, powerful modern-day God that's in direct competition for your heart and your soul with God. In our sinful nature that's running through us all the time, it naturally draws us towards this God with all of its promises. Our sinful nature will tip us towards selfishness, a desire to keep everything we have for ourselves. It will tip us towards jealousy, a refusal to be satisfied until we have what everybody else around us has. It will tip us towards fear and anxiety, not trusting God to provide what, what we need. We need to take care of it ourselves. It will tip us towards discontent, Right? We will begin to believe the lies being preached to us day in and day out that we, telling us that we don't have enough, that we shouldn't be content. 
if we don't make a conscious effort to learn how to be great givers, it's not going to happen. It won't happen naturally. If we hear God's message here this morning and make zero effort, it won't happen. We'll look a lot more like the people from Corinth than the people from Macedonia. You know what? God's not satisfied with that for us. We shouldn't be satisfied with that. Because great givers strive for excellence in giving. They're not satisfied with just being mediocre at this. You know, there's places in our lives where we refuse to be satisfied with mediocre, right? In grace, God gave his best for us. And now he wants us to do our best, not just good enough. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the one that he loved, and he sent him to this earth to suffer and to die for you. He sent him to pay the price, the penalty for our sin. He sent his son to experience hell. That should have been our experience. God held nothing back, and Jesus went all the way to the cross and to the tomb so that we might be set free, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have life. God did not settle for good enough. He held nothing back. And so how in the world do we now, do you and I now, say thank you for a gift like that? Will the leftovers be good enough? And so we sit down with God and say, okay, God, I got my paycheck. First comes the house payment, then comes the car payment, then comes the boat fund, then comes the spring break trip that I'm looking forward to, then comes clothing for the kids and dues for their, for their uh, sports team, and then, God, there you are. You're number six on the list. And if there's anything left, then I'll say thank you. That doesn't work. That's not a, that's not a heartfelt thank you. God asks for our best. And asking for our best, he says, how about you put me first in line? Okay? And he doesn't ask for everything. He doesn't say, you know what, give it all to me. Sign over your pay. No. He's gracious. He's so generous. He says, how about 10%? And the rest is all yours. We get to keep almost all that God has given us. God wants to be first, not because he's greedy, but because he gave his best he deserves our best. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we give him our best? Well, Paul tells the Corinthians how to do it. How to be like their Macedonian brothers to the north. I think we can still learn from these two lessons. First of all, he tells them to finish what they already started. In verse 6, he urges them to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. Remember, it's an act of grace. He's calling on them to fulfill their, their role, their calling in ministry. God had called them. God had specifically directed them. They had begun and then they had quit. Right? They had heard God's call to ministry. They had seen the specific need they could meet. They had recognized where God's kingdom could be ushered in through their generosity. They began and then their dedication waned. And they quit before the job was over. God had fully equipped them and called them, and they stepped away. When God 
sends to you and to me a specific ministry calling. When he says, here's an opportunity that I'm laying before you where you can be instrumental, you can turn that spigot on and and I'm gonna usher my kingdom in through you. When he gives us a chance to make that kind of kingdom difference, then we're called to mirror God's grace by being filled with grace to others. We need to say yes. We need to follow through to the end. Finish the calling that God gives. So see that calling, hear that calling, recognize that calling, and then dive in and carry it through to the end. Okay? And then secondly, he tells them to work hard at getting better and better at this. Strive not to just be a, a good giver or a pretty good giver, but he says excel in this grace of giving. Excel. Be the very best that you can be. Right? There's so many areas in life where we aren't satisfied with, with good enough. Right? Some of you as students, you aren't satisfied with good enough. So you put in the extra time. You put in the extra effort. You study long and hard so that you can be an excellent student rather than just a pretty good one. Right? Many of us spend hours and hours trying to be an excellent soccer player or an excellent basketball player or an excellent baseball player. And we sacrifice a lot to be able to do that. Hours and hours on the court or in the field and, and money and weekends and because we aren't satisfied with pretty good. We want to be excellent. Right? In our work, We train, we study, we practice to be excellent at our job so hopefully we can move up and be successful. We do what it takes to be excellent instead of just okay. And Paul says, do that here. God says, do that here. Do that when it comes to this grace of giving. Do it right. Don't be satisfied with, oh, pretty good. Don't be satisfied with good enough. Don't be satisfied with, I'm better than that person sitting next to me. Be excellent when it comes to giving to God. When we learn what it means to do this right, then we can become great givers who find great joy in sharing the grace that God has given to us. After all, that's, that has to be where great giving and great givers are rooted. They're rooted in grace. That has to be the core. Because we have received this grace, we are now eager to give grace. Because God has been so generous to us, we are now eager to be generous to him and to others in his name. Because we have experienced the kingdom of God transforming us, we can't help to to see the kingdom, be excited to see the kingdom of God transforming the world around us. Because our God is a great giver, that's why we want to be great givers, to be like him. Let's pray for that together. Would you pray with me? God, first of all, we thank you for being a great giver. But give us the perspective again of what you've done for us because we confess that so many of us have either ignored the truth of what you've done in our lives for so long or we've lived with it for so long that we have forgotten 
to be in awe at your generosity to us. Impress upon our hearts, impress upon our souls the extent to which you love us, that you would send your son, Jesus, that you would die and rise again. God, that you would refuse to give up on us, but that you would make a way for us to be with you right now in this life and for eternity. If we are not in awe of that, Father, then wake us up. Wake us up to fully experience your grace in our lives, in the depths of your generosity. And then cultivate within us a deep desire to share that grace, to be generous as you have been generous. Father, we are empty without you. And yet with you, we are full and overflowing. When people see us, when people experience us, may they recognize your grace, full and overflowing from us. In Jesus' precious